Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good afternoon, and this is Patty Holstrand, and we're on live on KWAD Radio. And we're here again with Wendy. Here we had a com- conversation with her. Wendy Hales, a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, we got knocked off of Blog Talk, and I just couldn't reestablish what the live was. So uh, you gave her a call, and we talked some more afterwards, and she's just so much fun to talk to that I decided to do it again. And... Uh, she said, yeah, you know, wait a couple of weeks, we'll have book uh, book number two done. So here she not only uh, is back talking about the original book, she's also talking to us about her second book, Immortal Becoming is book number one, it's a paranormal fantasy romance. Are you there, Wendy? I am. <laughs> hey, we you know, we had that conversation uh, you know, a few weeks ago, and we couldn't finish, and we talked afterwards, and you know, it just uh, had such such fun. I had to do it again. It was fun. I, what did we talk for, like an hour and a half after? I know, I know it. Uh, so and you said, "Hey, you know, we wait a few weeks, you'll have your second book out." So here you are. I actually, I got two out in the meantime. Yeah, I know. I didn't want to tell everybody that yet, but yeah, okay. I, I didn't. <laughs> I did see all your covers, and your covers are, just let everybody know that if you're looking at the screen right now on Blog Talk, you'll see all three of our covers. And so, obviously, we're going to have to talk about, we're going to go back a little bit and talk about Immortal Becoming first, for anyone who has not, uh, you know, was not here the first time, or, you know, came in when they thought, the show was on, of course, and uh, we just couldn't reestablish the connection. So tell us about Immortal Becoming first. Oh Well, Immortal Becoming actually is the first book in the series, so it creates the world, the, par- the fantasy world for the paranormal structure. And it has the her- heroine is Jess, the hero is Shane, and Shane is a Velodicus Elven, which means he's born with wings and fangs called dentes and directional hearing that makes his ears pivot off of his head. And uh, Jess is a human-elven hybrid called a Holven. But So she doesn't come into those traits until she goes through her becoming. Ah. She doesn't even know what she is at that point. So it's, it's, it's good. She gets delved into this totally world uh, world she didn't have any idea existed. Very cool. 
Well, I know that we've got some guests already listening in, so I'm going to let them know that you have the guest call number is 714-242-5145, and whether you like it or not, I know you're there. So you can't hide. You You might as well call in. <laughs> or you can write a little question right here in the chat. Just to let you know. So you can write a question. I will share it with Wendy and she'll answer it for you. So we have that. Now, the second book is Shadow Revealed. Okay. So what's it what what happened in the first book that you're now moving over to the second book? Well, the world structure is actually about there being four intelligent species on the planet. Three of them have enlightened, which basically means that their brains have evolved to the point where they've tapped into more than 15% humanity is using right now, which mm-hmm. gives them psychic abilities. So there's four, there's four species, humanity, the Velodicus, which is the Elven and Holven races, Aquates, and the Telus race. Each of the species have distinct abilities, capabilities, habitats, everything. And for eons, they battled. But over the last thousand years, they've developed this symbiosis of species council where they're trying to work together towards the betterment of all of the species as a whole. And humanity currently is is considered pre-enlightened. So they're represented by proxy in the Symbiosis of Species Council. So really the world is about that council. So in the okay. first book, my hero and heroine are um, Velodicus. In the second one, they're also Velodicus, but it's a different couple facing okay. a different unique. Now, in the second book, do we meet this uh, some of these characters that you to move over to the next book? Or are they brand-new couples? Okay. Okay. You actually meet them in all of the books because they're integrating with each other to face whatever, you know, the universe throws at them. Right. They have to go save the world together. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Which is is really kind of the uh, main emphasis of almost any fantasy, if you really think about it, is, is a group of people... All going out on a mission to save the world. Right. And each of the individual species have their own specific challenges facing them. So you're also addressing individual, the the, um, issues that are addressing the species as individual species as well as the council as a whole. Right, you and I talked about that a bit because it reminded us of, uh, or reminded me of a certain other author and this, the fact that they're childbearing. Right. right. Yeah, they have, right, because one thing about the enlightened species, because they're able to heal on a psychic level, one of the consequences is that their breeding cycles slow down to where they're not fertile very often. And then issues with each individual species also makes it to where having children has its own risks to them, and so overcoming those risks is is, is huge. That's part of the story. Mm-hmm. That's a that's that's an important part of the story. 
So obviously by book three now, is this book three, is this the end of the series or just just starting or what are you doing from here? Well, book three, it's not really, a, it's not a, I don't actually count it as one of the books in the series. It's just a novella and it has uh-huh. to do with two of the species. One of them you meet is a minor character in both the first and second book. The other, the hero, is you meet in the second book and his name is Eros. Okay, that sounds like a cool name. So the next book will actually be, the next full-length novel will actually be book three. And it's called Fire's Touch. Okay, well, that's important to know, everyone, that book one is, book one and two are out, and then the third one is really a novella, not really a full book. Right, it's the Enlightened Species novella, so. Cool, cool, that's... That's important to know on this, this whole thing. And um, and I actually listed it for free because of this interview for the next two days. On oh, okay. So uh, I'm going to have to find out. <laughs> so I'll find out and give that to you guys as soon as I get to it. Um, we were talking a bit about world building when we were on the phone together. Right. And how... Yeah, obviously that's challenging uh, to, to to take something in your mind and, and really make a whole world because what you really have here is not so much just a fantasy, but it's what we call an urban fantasy because you, you constructed their world in ours. Right. So right, what, and it's a, it's a challenge. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah, because you have, you have to follow, obviously, the the the, the world that we live in you can't change certain things, but and you have to keep the time period right. And then you have to right. put, put their whole new world inside of ours. What would and it make cha- it realistic. Right, right, which is what I was going to say. It needs to be realistic. So how did you uh, come about doing that? Well, each, each of them, I mean, none of their features are so distinct that um, – they would stand out in humanity unless you knew what to look for. So the elven's wings tuck, tuck back. The Velodicus wings can tuck back, and, of course, their dentes are retractable. The one defining feature that makes them come under the glare of rogues and trappers and smugglers are that their ears are directional, and so the muscular de- development around their skull is Extensive, and so if you actually can see their ears, you can tell what they are. With the aquatees, their legs are longer than their torsos, and with Tellus, their darker skin, which doesn't define, you know, separate them from humans. It, but if you look closely at their skin, they're concentrated freckles because they live underground. Their skin's designed to withstand tremendous heat and pressure over over their entire bodies. And so they're the most they're the easiest to recognize. We were talking about the color of their eyes because I said your your covers are very distinct because of that. Um well with Jess it really matters because she siphons energy from others. She can physically siphon someone else's psychic energy from them and weaken them. When she does that her eyes actually glow. So uh-huh. hers were at, since it was the first cover, I kind of wanted to keep the same theme. 
although the eyes aren't nearly as important in the others. Now, do they really look like, you know, like the elves that we're used to, or do they have, or do they look more like people? They look just like people. Um, within On their backs are a T-shaped flap, and within that T-shaped flap are their wings, and they can extend them from that flap. But when it, when their wings are retracted, you can't really tell unless you know what you're looking for. Um, the things are retractable. It's the directional hearing. They don't have pointed ears. They have directional hearing. And the way I explain the myth in the story <laughs> is that at some point someone substituted the word point for aim or direct, and then the term ended up being a literal pointed ears. And that's how the myth was made. But their ears aren't pointy. They're directional. Huh. Very cool. I gave everyone the uh, the uh, link there for your Amazon Shadowed Enlightened Species novella. So again, you got to click on it. It's just clickable. So all you, do, you guys need to do is click on it and go right to Amazon. Obviously, don't do it on the same page that you are on right now. <laughs> Otherwise, you will lose your show and it will suddenly go quiet. So, <laughs> so be sure to write <laughs> ah, technology. Anyway, um, yeah, your characters sound really, really interesting. And of course, I, I said it's, it's interesting how you had to, uh, with urban fantasies, how you have to construct worlds within worlds. So on right. the, the issue you have with the, uh, with the the bearing of children, how important is this to the story? Well, in the the elven females, true full elven-born females, only go into what is considered estrus, kind of like an animal red. But they only do it maybe twice a century. And when they they're not the elven species, the elven race is all they're all anemic. So without blood mates, uh, their chances of having a child without bleeding to death are pretty much slim to none. So even when they go into estrus, they generally don't propagate. So with the Holven females, they retain both the ability for human ovulation monthly and the elven estrus a couple times a century once they go through their becoming. If they get pregnant by an elven during estrus, they actually will give birth to another Holven. If they get pregnant by an elven during estrus, they give birth to a full elven child. If they get pregnant by a human, they give birth to a human. Hmm. So because of that, they're at high risk. They're very mm, valuable to rogues who, and in immortal becoming, what the rogues are doing is they're capturing and kidnapping, trapping, and putting these Holven females into cages and force breeding them, trying yeah, to create their own army. So... So that's a big deal that the Holvens are so fertile, as opposed to the Elven females. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good reading about that. About the breeding cages and that. So that's what uh, obviously our hero has to uh, go and save his his uh, his mate. Actually, no, no, no. 
Jess is tough. Jess is a little badass in her own right. Can I say that? Sorry. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm quite no, sure teenagers are used to those terms now. <laughs> she she is tough in her own right. And what happens is when she goes through her becoming um, and her first estrus, it actually intensifies her siphoning ability. So what the oracles do is they set it up to where she and Shane sacrifice their blood mating. They basically have it, and instead of being able to relieve each other during her two-week becoming, they sacrifice her pain, which they'll both share as blood-joined mates, um, so that she can go and siphon the psychic ability of the soldiers and the bad guys in these breeding camps to help the women escape. Very cool. That's a different idea. And the oh. whole thing's yeah. yeah. So do we see her become this, you know, this uh, strong woman in the yes. book? Actually, during the – there's four, pla- three, four places where the breeding labs are. She goes to three out of four of those. And in each one of them, she's suffering more and more and more pain, and you're with her during it. Hmm. Yeah, uh, just you know, women pain. You know, they were talking about that that w- that women bear pain more than men do. Right. I just well, uh, listening to a radio <laughs> a while ago about that. <laughs> well, while she's trying to help these females and concentrate on doing what she needs to do to help them, her dentes are plunging into her mouth, and her ri- wings are ripping for free of her spine and oh my wow she's got pms from hell because she's going into her first <laughs> estrus pms from hell <laughs> <laughs> so so it's good and then once that part's done then you kind of see it from shane's perspective what he's going through connected to her but unable to reach her unable to soothe her because of the sacrifice they agreed to for the benefit of these women. Yeah, that must be really tough on him. So, yeah. Well, he's you know he's feeling her pain during this time, right? Yes. Yeah, that's. He actually, <laughs> his brothers actually tie him into a secured room. <laughs> okay, trying to keep him under control. Yeah, well, and he breaks his own wrist trying. Struggling against the pain she's going through. So, wow. Well, they sound like an interesting couple. Yeah, they're so, fun. <laughs> uh, on the the second book, uh, tell us about that couple. In the second book, there I always run two couples, just so you know. But in the second book, um, it starts. The heroine's name is Umbre, and one of the evil the most evil prolific killers of the Velodicus race are called Morris Dentes. And what Morris Dentes do is they hunt other enlightened species, drain them from the vein, and steal their psychic energy for like a temporary high. The problem with that is that the the soul that they steal retains conscious thought for a period of time within within the Morris Dentes psyche. So since they're still anemic, generally Morris Dentes are caught because warriors, Velodicus warriors will 
follow dead human body trails as they, you know, just kill randomly because they're just killers. They're evil to begin with. In this one, the Morris Dente has stumbled across Umbre roughly, well, just under 80 years ago. And he bought her off of a wharf and uh, has been using her as a blood, basically a blood slave, carrying her around for 80 years so that he wouldn't have to use humans to feed from. He could just feed off of her for his iron and hunt other enlightened species. So she's Hmm. pretty messed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So she's a mess. But in the first book, you meet Enlil, and Enlil uh, is another siphon. He's um, related to Jess, and he's an older siphon, and he's also a widower. Generally, when widowers, um, when their when the blood mate dies, the other blood mate follows them. They release their energy and follow them into the hereafter. The problem with Enlil is he's got a twin sister whose bonds is connected to him as his deceased mates. Hmm. And she was she was killed by the Morris Dente. So, but unlike most spirits, Atana has never released or never been released into the universe. Her conscience has remained active inside the Morris Dente for centuries. Hmm. So Umbra gets saved, and then she finds that she her specific ability is a bloodline that are were once thought to be assassins, the greatest assassins of the Velodicus race. So she's trained to be an assassin and then goes back into the world. Well, after she does, they find the Morris Dente, and that brings her and Enlil together. So I'm curious, how much did you write down about this world that you, you created before you started writing? Well, oh my gosh, research before I ever started writing. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. Um, and then it's con- it's continuous all the time. Like every time I stumble across something else, I I'm in there researching it. Like in Fire's Touch, um, there's a section of it where they're actually inside an iceberg in Antarctica. So I've spent the last three days studying Antarctica. Antarctic winters, Antarctic winds, <laughs> you know sure. what I mean, the magnetic poles of the southern pole. Yeah. Yes. So, and how that affects GPS, cell phones, you know. So, would, I mean, I would, I would there's a lot of research. That would affect them as well, I would think, being, you know, who they are. Exactly. So and, I have to determine what they're and how I can make it work in my story or if I even want it to. Right, right. So that that's that's something that I tell a lot of uh, people is as they say, well, nonfiction is all about research. And no, uh, <laughs> if you're doing your fiction story right, you're going to have some things you need to definitely research. Um, if it's historical, you need to get the history right, or at least know enough about it in order to screw it up. So <laughs> he says you got to know what your history is before you can really make a mess of it. So right, uh, absolutely. Yeah. You got to know the rules before you can break them and create new ones. Yeah. So when somebody says, "Well, yes, but that wasn't said," no, actually, the river was diverted by you know seventeen whatever. Uh, so you have that information already in hand, and and say, "No, you're wrong," because this was actually Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that kind of thing. So you already got to have all that knowledge there, so you can uh, go back to it. 
Right, and the more you species that you add, every okay. one of them, you know, you because in this instance we kind of handle the land. We're in charge of the Earth's resources as far as land resources. The aquatis are the water. Kellis handle the core. Velodicus are the air. So, so yeah, you it's each of them are different. Each of them have different abilities. So. Which is something we talked about your symbol on your cover. Right. The SOSC. Explain that, that symbol and how you came upon doing that. Well, again, the symbol re- reflects the four intelligent species, humanity, the pre-enlightened, and then the Tellus, the Oxy, and the Velodicus. The Velodicus are winged and they have directional hearing. They're also telepathic, kinetic, um, or they can do kinesis. Um, let's see what else. Oh, they can fold space and port from one loca- known location to another. They have to know where they're going because otherwise they could end up in a wall, a human, anything with mass would interfere with that porting. So, I mean, that's very limited. Um, the telus are in the Earth's core. So they emit, they're not telepathic. They're not, you know, it's not, they're completely different. But what they can do is they can shapeshift when they're hmm. on land if they want to, and they can emit ultrasonic an ultrasonic wave that will liquefy solid earth in front of them. So they basically swim beneath the gra- beneath soil. Wow. The way an aquatic swim in water, um, and then their bodies act, they create electromagnetic fields. So their bodies work like a giant taser, but they're also hmm hypersensitive to a taser because of that. Um, let's see. Uh, the Aquatees ha- sunbathe a lot. They're complete exhibitionists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> complete exhibitionists. in there somewhere, right? <laughs> well, and their skin is really opalescent and very beautiful, but they um, can take solar energy and convert it to thermodynamic energy, So they and then they can use that to create create hypothermia or hyperthermia, you know, depending on what they want with water molecules. And they have the ability to use sonar and to Mm. communicate Mm. over vast distances of water using sonar. Hmm. So you're using the logo, and uh, do you think about doing any merchandising when it comes to that logo, making a necklace or anything like that? I don't know. I don't know. I just barely, barely ordered the bookmarks. I mean, I'm like, that's so far ahead of me. I'm not even close. Okay. Okay. It's understandable. Now, I'm going to go back a little bit because some people may not know what you're doing now. I know that you're, uh, we talked about, you know, <laughs> your family and, you know, what the business you're in, you, you and your, your husband. So tell us about that. Well, my husband loves coffee, and he actually, in 2003, he, uh, well, a couple years before that, actually, got out of a pretty successful masonry business and opened a coffee shop in our itty-bitty little teeny tiny town. And everyone (laughs) said he was absolutely nuts, and he did it anyway, and he followed his heart, and he threw everything he had and everything he was into it and turned that business into a success. Two years after it was open, we met three years later, we were married. So I got it vicariously through the ring, which is sometimes a blessing, sometimes a curse. <laughs> but um, 
but I, you know, it's it's a lot of fun and it's it's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but a lot of fun. But again, it's it's absolutely his baby, and but it makes it so he understands my passion for writing and how I can completely delve my soul into it the way that I do because he did the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He would understand uh, where you're coming from. He and has uh, a unique perspective of dream chasing. Oh, <laughs> there you go, dream chasing. Uh, I would also say that uh, obviously coffee and books really do go hand in hand. So, uh, do you u- utilize the bookstore? Oh, wait, not the bookstore. I'm sorry, the coffee shop as a way in order to extend information to the community on your books. Um, you know, a lot of our customers know that I write, and a lot of them will talk to me, and a lot of them are, are my, I mean, in our town, it's so tiny that you pretty much get to know everybody like friends. And so, you know, they're very supportive, the ones that are interested and know, but it's not like I, you know, stand there and push my books either. It's completely separate endeavor, and I always try to keep that in mind, so... Hmm. Should you do any readings there at the at the coffee shop? I read a lot, actually. Um, surprising. I'm generally reading four books at any given time. Ah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I used to read a lot more, but then I started publishing, and I, I just I just can't seem to get. I have to I have to read, so I'm forced to read. So now it's not as much fun. <laughs> oh, that would take kind of the fun out of it, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, we in my in our in my romance writers group um, here in our state, they're amazing writers and they're very productive. And I mean, just reading their books can can fill my Kindle, and I'm impressed with all of them. I'm very lucky to be a part of that. And then. Uh, Again, I have my go-to favorites, you know, Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister and, you know, the ones that I just go back to over and over and over in my life. Yes, yes. As I said, that, as somebody that you both, we both like. Oh, yeah. Ger- Gregory Maguire. Oh, love yeah. him. Yeah. So if you want to know how to world build, read his books. We also talked about Stephanie Free, uh, Feehan. Yep, that, Christine yes. Feehan. Christine, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, her Carpathian series, I own every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Love Christine Behan. Susan yeah. Brockman is another favorite of mine as far as a series writer. She's mm-hmm. Her Troubleshooter series is wonderful. And if anything, she's probably influenced me the most because in her books, She's not a. A lot of books will focus on a single couple. I mean, they may introduce another couple that will come later, but they really focus on a single couple. And I don't. I like to run, a, you know, a Again, primary but, couple yeah. and a secondary couple. And that's how Susan Brockman writes primarily. Not always, but pretty much. Huh. So, I, I mean, she's a contemporary. She's not paranormal. At least her troubleshooter series isn't. Although I've heard she put out a new paranormal, but I haven't read it yet. But it, hmm. I like her writing style. Very cool. Well, I I told you that one thing that I noticed uh, immediately was the covers. Uh, being a graphic designer, that that means a lot to me. And if you impress me enough to say, you know, I want to want to interview her because she's got some compelling 
covers. And uh, that's the first thing that, that brings a person into the story is the cover. So how does Well, you- and it doesn't leave, yeah, it doesn't leave a lot, you know. I mean, I don't want a sweet cover and have people that are looking for a sweet romance to mm-hmm. buy it and then find consummated, you know, love scenes in it. I mean, that's, you've got to represent what you're writing to. But at the same time, I don't write erotica either, so I'm not. You know what I mean? It's, it's right. finding what a sensuality that also, you know, doesn't isn't going to shock some, you know, eighty year old grandmother who. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, no, we'll make it. So, what you would call it is a PG thirteen. Um, no, I would call it a soft R. Well, maybe a straight R, but definitely not it. <laughs> okay, it's, it's you know the, those lines are getting blurred all the time. Yeah, they, they keep they're going. getting blurred, but the language alone will throw that sucker into an R rating. So, <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, okay. I mean, they talk like real people in their twenties, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. But yeah, yeah. So and the it, conversations are ones you would have with your friends, not ones you have with your parents. You know, it's right, right. That's and they're they're younger, so I understand what you mean because I got an eighteen year old of my own, and he oh, never. Oh, my twenty one year old will burn your ears. <laughs> yeah, but he will never talk like that in front of me. That you know, I hear him talking to his friends on the on the Wow or on or on the the games, and I'm going like, okay, this is definitely a different kid over there. <laughs> But, you know, that's that's the way it is, and uh, it's okay. Yeah. He does see he shoots me enough to respect not to do that in front of me. So, <laughs> yeah, I've never been known for having good language myself, so I can't really fault my kids too much. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I've never had a good filter. Mm-mm. So tell me, where are you going to go from here? Um, well, I, as long as the characters keep talking to me, I'll keep writing their stories. Um, the nice thing about the novella was, is the backstory of, Amy, the basic backstory of Amy and Eros you're, you meet in the first two books. And so their novella worked out really well. You get more if you've read the first two books, but it stands alone fine. Um, so That's I like the idea of the characters that you have a backstory on that, speak to me, telling me, you know, I will probably have a few more novellas in between some of these other books, depending on what happens with the characters. Um, book three, again, is Fires Touched, and um, should have it out by midsummer. And the fourth book I haven't titled yet, but, um, yeah, it's outlined, first chapters written, synopsis is done, and well, you it's, already, <laughs> yeah, it's already in the back of my head, like eating a hole in my brain, <laughs> So gotta get it out. Gotta get it out. Gotta get it out. We have a caller. So hang on here. Hello. Hello. This is caller seven seven three seven. Hello. Okay. I guess somebody's <laughs> I guess somebody's listening to us 
prank called. <laughs> it, it sounds like somebody was making dinner. <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least they didn't ask us if the faucet was running or something. <laughs> the faucet running? At least they were doing something else, as we appreciate. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you wanted to call, you just want to listen, that's okay. I was just, uh, just checking. <laughs> so, you said that the, I, it's good that you have your novella that is, you know, kind of a standalone, so that way they get, they whet their appetite for what you write. Well, and it kind of familiarizes people with, I think a lot of times people are hesitant to buy, because I'm a, I'm a new author. Right. I'm I know. new in the market. My first one published on February 2nd. And I think it's difficult for people to invest in a new writer when they're not familiar with their voice and they're not sure if they can even connect to them and yet they're investing, you know, a lot yeah. into their writings. Yeah, nowadays, you know, uh, any amount of money is, is a lot to us. Yeah. So, yeah. So by giving the 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 novella, you know, free for a little while, especially during our show here, you're going to wind up. Hopefully, they will fall in love with your writing and go back and buy your up ones. That's the whole point, isn't it? Uh, well, I would. I mean, that's the hope. But also, if it's not to their taste, they're going to know it. Right. So. Yeah. And, and that's as, important too. Sure. Sure. Of course, we, we're, we're hoping that they, they just fall in love with you, of course. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would hope that, but, yeah. I mean, I I I think it's had a really, I mean, it's had a great response. The whole series has had a great response. Um, again, there's not a lot of urban fantasy series writers out there, single titles, yeah, but as far as, like, series writers, there's really not that many. It's surprising how few there are. Hmm. Well, I think they probably call the the problem I see with um, with genres and and people are are making up new names rather than sticking with the ones we already have in stock. You know what I mean? Right. I um. There was one that that just oh yeah, pet mysteries. I ain't going like. Yeah, I was in a bookstore, uh, a mystery bookstore, the a couple of weeks ago, and I'm looking at the new books, and I said, "Pet mystery." Pet said, mystery. Pet, you know, like your your cats and your dogs, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I said, and so I talked to the owner, and I said, uh, "It's this actual genre," and he goes, "Yeah." I said, "Okay." He goes, "Well, you know, instead of instead of sticking with a." A, uh, a genre that we already know. Everybody keeps making up new ones. Right, right. Well, <laughs> or more defined, and yeah, there's right. so many hybrid writers. You know, I I would consider myself a hybrid. I write fantasy, but I also write paranormal, and technically it's romance. But you know, when it's also you know romantic elements to either right. of those. So I mean, it's so undefined, really. Well, I, I know when I came out with uh, my time travel books, I, I I was trying to really debating on whether to keep it in romance or whether I should stick with science sci-fi because it's got science fiction in it. And because of the fact that that's I go to conventions and this is my real target market. And so uh, it was a science fiction author who told me 
that science fiction readers love sex too. So, <laughs> so you loved it in science fiction. No, actually, I went ahead and did time travel romance. So I I kept the time travel part because it really was an important part of the element. And the real thing is that is because there's so many more romance readers. <laughs> well, Shadow Magic is sat for two weeks. Well, before I put it on this free download, it sat on the science fiction fantasy anthology list of Amazon for two weeks. Not even yeah, romance. Well, it's because it's paranormal. They, that's a problem. You see, they, the bookstores don't know what or how to categorize anything. So they, you know, they stick anything with with paranormal elements, whether you know, no matter what it is, into the sci-fi fantasy section. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, sometimes I don't know how to describe my own. Well, you know, it's you put sci-fi, an. I mean. Really what happened in here is that you have an elf, okay? You got an elven race. And automatically people think elven means fantasy. Right. But they're actually more like vampires, playing vampires. Right, but still for some reason they they stick vampires in, in the paranormal in the sci fi section as well. So <laughs> believe me, we, we have long discussions at conventions about this. And it's crazy where they stick these things, but it's really bad when you have a historical romance writer and you've got you've got uh, characters in a whole different series. They're also sticking in the same in the same uh, shelf. It's, it has nothing to do with it. So you know you, put, you make your name, and unfortunately, no matter what you write, it keeps following you. So uh, <laughs> something to think about. <laughs> so, is this the only series you're going to be working on, or do you have anything else in the in the works to come come down the pike soon? Well, I have another outline and synopsis that I'd like to work on, and it'll probably be another novella, but it has to do with the time travel, which is a little out of my comfort zone. But <laughs> I'd like to have it out by Christmas as well. So we'll see how it comes down the pike. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, you know that there are uh, time travel anthology, anthologies. If you ever wish to be a part of one of those, let me know, and I'll get you in touch with those people. Perfect. Well, if I ever, if I can ever get um, the enlightened species to quiet down enough for me to do it, or <laughs> if it actually flows through like shadowed magic, I actually wrote shadowed magic in two weeks, and during that two weeks, I spent three days basically awake with my mother having a surgery. Um, oh, my. And I just, yeah, I just... Yeah, you might as well do out. something, right? <laughs> yeah, it was crazy how... It, 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 yeah. Yeah. I've never had one come out of me the way that Shadow Magic came out. Well, you, you probably had to, you know, your, it was in back of your head burning and you had to get it out. But also, I think it probably helped you through that that you know, that period of time. Because yeah, I, anytime my yeah, anytime my mother goes under a knife it's stressful, sure. so sure. It'll be for anybody, uh you know, any any stressful time. Says I, I could tell you a story about me, but that's okay. We're talking about you. So <laughs> So I'm glad that, that you're everything working out good and so how how's your first 
uh, book, how was it received? That was back in March, right? The first book came out February 2nd. Oh, February, okay. Yeah, and it it, it was actually really well received. Oh, um, oh, the e-book came out before the paperback, right? Yeah, the e-book came out on the 2nd, and the paperback didn't come out until the end of February. Okay, that's why I have March 1st here. Okay. So, but um, it came out February 2nd, and it's been really well received. Um, I, I don't really you know, hold my numbers up and, you know, run a comparative. But I, I've i been really happy with it. The response on websites and the people who've written, I mean, I've had, I've only ever, I've only ever had one person send me an email and go, Wah! at me. For the most yeah. part, everything else has been pretty, pretty nice. Um, on my, my website, I had a, uh, somebody leave a comment on my guest book a couple, well, I think it was last week. And it it put me in tears. Oh. So I just cried. And I've probably read it. If it were on paper, it would be blurred, rumpled, and indistinguishable as anything other than pulp from the number of times I've read it. Oh, it's just touching. Oh, the touching is just, it's not that they got, they that they knocked you down. They... No. No, it's, no, they loved your work, is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Okay. I it thought you meant they were being cruel, you know, and and people do that. But <laughs> uh, well, I had one lady who sent me a really nasty email about the first four pages of Shadowed Magic being entirely too vivid, and yeah, but um, other than that, everything's been positive. Good. Um, Good, Uncle. That's you know, so those those people who uh, who write you things like that, um, that really make it worth it. Yeah, they do. Well, whenever you can elicit enough emotion from people that they leave a review, I mean, even if it's a, even bad, you know, I mean, anytime you can elicit that kind of emotion, you've done your job as a writer. Ultimately, right. You have them deal. Yes, I agree there. That. Uh, and you can tell when, especially if they if they meet you in person, they start talking to you about certain pieces, certain things in your story, and that's when you know, oh my gosh, they really read it. <laughs> well, and I get that a lot at my coffee shop. When I'm there, I get that a lot because the a lot of the customers have read the books, and you know they want to know what's going on with the next ones and the next ones. And, you know, they want to know how you build that kind of a world, and which is kind yeah. of hard to explain, you know, to somebody who doesn't doesn't have that brain for that. <laughs> yeah, because I don't. I, I mean, I don't know that it's odd necessarily, as it's hard to define. Well, since we think we talked about this before, that your character is talking to you. Oh, constantly. Okay, so it, see, a nonfiction writer, this is somebody who doesn't write fiction or somebody who writes nonfiction only would never understand that. They they think you're then, crazy. <laughs> but, but then you meet up with a whole other group of writers and they're all like, oh my gosh, let me tell you. Oh my gosh, so I'm up at 2 o'clock with this, wah, 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 you know, I mean, we're just, it, it's, in, in our, you know, in right with authors, it's. That's true. Normal. That's true. With, with fiction authors. Who, but there, right. I met I met some fiction authors who didn't get this, 
you know, who mm-hmm. could look at me like, what do you mean you're taught, your 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 characters talk to you? And I'm going like, well, don't they talk to you? And <laughs> they're looking like, uh, no. But then I read some of their work. It's like, okay, well, that explains it. <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> they, they just everybody has their own style, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know of any, none of the writers that I know have quiet characters. No, None of them. None right. Of them. That you can kind of tell when they don't have quite when they have quiet characters, because I've never you, met anyone like that yet. So I I but then again I I get a lot of stuff. Okay, people send me stuff all the time. So <laughs> and it's just so when I asked them, I said, so how did you see this this scene in your head? Um, well, I saw the scene, but so how did you get the characters to tell you this scene? Take on like. They have no idea what I'm talking about. I go, okay. Well, that probably explains why your your story is one dimensional. Yeah, yeah. You gotta smell it, feel it, hear it, taste it, feel it, want yeah. it, hate it, something. I mean, you've got to be right there. And I mean, when you gotta wake blog- up in the middle of the night with a dream. You gotta, it's gotta. You know, you'll be you'll be doing something else entirely, and realize that your two characters, two of your characters, had nothing to do with the main characters, were were in a relationship, and you didn't even know it. But well, yeah, you wrote yeah. it, but you didn't. It didn't click in your head what was going on. <laughs> well, in Immortal Becoming, Jess fights off an Elvin, and uh, she ends up getting herself in a position to where he was straddling her. She offset him what's in front of her head. So she reaches up and bites into his testicles. Uh-huh. While I wrote that scene, <laughs> yeah, while I wrote that scene, my jaw hurt so bad from clenching it in her behalf that okay. when I was done, I was taking Advil to get my jaw to stop hurting. <laughs> characters just, more. They, it's like a possession. Yeah, we just get into it. So we, we let them use us for that purpose. Uh, we got somebody else on the line here, so let's see whether or not that person is making dinner. Hang on. Okay, we're talking to the last four digits, 4097. Are you there? I am. Awesome. So, <laughs> so fortunately, Wendy is my sister. Hi, sis. Oh. Hi, sis. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I was talking, I read obviously all of the books. They're fabulous and wonderful and amazing. But talking to a friend today, here's the question that we had. Where do you reach in and come up and be able to create, um, you know, I mean, as you're driving through the canyons of Mesa, you can see the ravines, and I can see the grass that you're describing, and I can see the homes built into the caves. And I think, you know, where, how do you come up with that creativity to create that and bring it to all of us? Good question. Well, um, the ravine, the ravine scene is actually the, I call it the uh, waterfall nest of Mesa. Um, And what I did was I actually researched Pueblo Indian dwellings, ancient Pueblo Indian dwellings. And I studied them, and that's how they built. And uh, the nests have to be concealed from humanity. So the easiest way to do that was to structure it that way and then put an energy weave over it to camouflage it from human prying eyes. So once I developed the housing, 
the rest of it just fell into place. I mean, okay. It's just amazing. I mean, as you as you write and the characters become so I mean, you're you're so <laughs> attracted to them and I I can tell you in in Shadow Revealed I cried. I laughed, I cried. But um Okay, tell them be, what you really did. Called me up, called me a bad name and hung up on me. <laughs> I did because, you know, I I was so <laughs> I was so taken back by um the situation with Atana and then it dawned on me that Harry was I was so attached to this character that you had only met through memories and through other people's feelings about her and then here she was gone. And I was so stunned <laughs> and then I burst into tears and then I called her up because she made me cry. <laughs> and um, I'm like, you know, my girlfriend just finished the book, um, one of one of mine and Wendy's friends, and she said today, she goes, yeah, I could tell exactly where you cried. And if I was sensitive, I would have cried too, which <laughs> is kind of funny for her. But, um, you know, the whole book, she said, it's just amazing. And then you, you wait anxiously for the next book to come out so that you can keep going with your characters that you're attached to. So it's... Um, it, it's just truly amazing, and I'm—I can't tell you how proud I am of her. But yeah, I guess also you addicted. There you go. <laughs> hey, you always said I lived in my own world as a child, and obviously she's brought it to life and captured the rest of us <laughs> in it now. There you go. So, um, yeah, and this—the—I mean, just the love scenes are—they're passionate and amazing, and. Um, our mom called them erotica, which I don't agree, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she read the part several times. Well, people so. who call books erotica usually don't don't understand the term. They think anything with sex in it is erotica. Right. And so it was, you know, when I read it, I said, well, I don't think it's that at all. So, um, no. But truly amazing. And thank you for letting me call in. And, no, it's okay. And it's what we're here my for. questions. And give her a perk because she's just amazing. So I hope anyone else out there listening gets the books and and really delves into them. You will love them. That's what we're planning on. I got her first All one. Right. Somebody's reading for a review for the newspaper. So that's that's good. Oh, oh yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. So, uh, Hi, sister one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can we say goodbye to the sister? Bye, Patty. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bye. 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll put her on. Uh, and you got somebody else who looks like they want to talk, so hang on a second. Oh. Oh, okay. There we go. Hello. 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 Number 7737. Yep, that's her mom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a whole family affair here. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to clarify something my daughter said about erotica. <laughs> I have read I have read a lot of erotica and oh. I know the difference, believe it or not. That is the most fantastic emotional roller coaster ride in Immortal Becoming I ever went on. If you could feel that much passion without um oh, tremendous sensuality. Okay. That went on between uh, Jess and Shane. It's not erotica, but I didn't know how else to explain it. It was just intense, and it was beautiful. Be Thank so you, Like her sister, I'm very, very proud of her. Yes, Thanks, I can tell. 
I think uh, the term would be essential romance. Right. I read romance forever, and I got tired of he saw her, she saw him, they fell in love, they broke up, or had this intense sexual fantasy, broke up, got back together. Those books I don't like. This one has none of those has none of those concepts and none of those, um, uh, oh, I don't know what the word is. I think this book at, is just incredible. I think you're you look at formula romance. It's formula romance, uh, yeah. And I got tired of those, and so I went on and moved into the mysteries and the occult and enjoyed them so much more. Mm-hmm. In fact, Wendy, I saw a lady today in the doctor's office and I recommended Mom? your book Mom? because it's the it's the type of book she reads. So I'm hoping okay. she will. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'll call you later. <laughs> anyway, thank you. <laughs> Bye. 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 It's okay. I was cool with that. <laughs> um, yeah, what my mother doesn't know, but now that I know she's listening, I'm going to say it. <laughs> the first romance I ever read was Sky O'Malley by Beatrice Small. I was 11 and grounded, and I pilfered it out of her romance stack. Way too old for me. <laughs> Way too old for me. <laughs> well, that's that's it, you know, that uh, kids want to grow up, but the thing is that, that they get these books that really are too old for them. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it comes a time where, yeah, and you probably felt very uncomfortable because of it. Mm, not so much. I was confused by it. <laughs> I wasn't oh. so much uncomfortable. I didn't just didn't understand at all. Right, right. No, nothing to really. Yeah, you you you, you didn't understand too many things, Jen. Yeah. Right, that emotional connection. It didn't really you know, transcend, and it wasn't so graphic that, you know what I mean, you could... Right. It was more of just feeling that feeling, okay, why would she clench? You know, kind of thing. But yeah, the first romance I ever read, I pilfered from my mom's private stash. I was 11. (laughs) So so she is a romance reader, for sure. She was when I was a kid, and then I didn't know her to be. Um, As I grew up, she... Her and my dad both got out of it. They were very into Shogun, Louis L'Amour's. Yeah. Oh, okay. Historical? She, yeah. She, she, was, she was saying that she got into more mysteries? Um, I don't know. Like I said, I've been growing up and gone a long time. But <laughs> Well, it, it's obvious to me that, okay, you have a family who are readers. Yes. I have okay. a family. I come from a huge family of readers. And that's usually what breeds readers. Oh. Readers and writers are bred from families that do a lot of reading or writing. Right. I I agree. I mean, I think, I mean, my sister taught me to read Cinderella when I was three. It was the first book I ever read. Uh, and that's quite a few words for, definitely for that age. It's usually supposed to be spot. Ran to Bob or something, you know. Yeah, no. Patty would sit down with me with Dr. Seuss books and Disney books, and she taught me to read two, probably two years before I ever started kindergarten. 
That's awesome. Well, that's just it. You needed to be able to read to them. So, so we are almost at the end of our end of our hour. I know it's been a fast hour. It has been a fast hour. Um, so, so you did get the book that I had sent to you. Yes, yes, I did. Yes, I did, and. I put it into our book reviews because I, I said, well, either I could, if, if nobody wanted to read it, I would read it myself. So it looks like, I also put it into, uh, it's on Facebook right now. So Facebook, because we have a, a, I have, Connotations has its own Facebook page. So <laughs> I was letting everybody know that, that your book is is in for review for the newspaper, and uh, here you are being reviewed uh, interviewed today. So, well, thank you. Well, thank get you. people get people involved. Get them, you know, to get to know these new authors. That's that's the whole idea. It's a big step to publish. Well, you know, just briefly, I'm gonna say that one thing you know, that your mom and your sister are saying that you're they're very much looking forward to your next. Worked and so does a lot of other people who who read, who fall in love with certain series, you know, right. fall in love with the characters. Um, it used to be that we had to wait, you know, a good year or more just to get the next book. But we don't have to do that anymore. No, not too so much. So, <laughs> so you know, I say you know, if it's a series, you should you should be doing at least two of them a year in that series. Um, I don't know that I'll be able to maintain the pace of four books from the same series in one year, but this year I've done. Uh, it, I will have made it for sure. Maybe five if I can get the the one I haven't titled yet that is technically the full book four out too. But I don't know that I could keep that pace. But for right now, they. I actually write <laughs> in my author bio that you know it's like something opened a portal to my soul when yeah. I started writing full time. Yeah, the life on dream writing. It was like a floodgate opened in my soul. That's what you wrote on your thing, uh, and that's that's what's it. But it's, I'm saying that the readers can once they they find the authors they love, don't have to wait as often in, anymore. Right. Yes. Yeah, so which only goes and prods me along because I already had people a couple weekends ago. I went to a convention and it's like, well, where's your next one? <laughs> Dang it! You know I haven't gotten finished with it. It's, it's written, it's edited. I just didn't finish it yet. So, oh. it's so Patty, done. <laughs> well, Patty, when's your next one? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the problem is I started writing on another series, so I fell in love with new characters. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a fear of mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because everybody says, well, what, what about Tim and Parker? Well, yeah, they're in a bit of a hiatus right now. Cause I, I just fell in love with the new series. So they're going, oh, you know, we want we want more. Well, the rest of the books are mo- not just about them. They're the, the whole, we learn about the brothers and we get more involved with the rest of the family. So okay. <laughs> I, I have 14 books planned. So I just I have synopsis for all fourteen. They're gonna get written. It's just fourteen. Uh, fourteen, yeah. It's, it's just an epic, an epic. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, sure, talk about Floodgate. Talk about Floodgate. That's what, you know, I almost died about 10 years ago. And, oh. yeah, from a, 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 I had a staph infection that grew inside me after a, a botched job of uh, hysterectomy. And after almost dying, I, I kind of decided, okay, this now or never. And I just I got to I had the story started. Um, I took you know what I liked out of it and threw away the rest and 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 had a whole new series out of it. So I already had the synopsis already written by the time I got the first four books already written. So mm-hmm. it's your floodgate. I understand it. Okay. Well, and, you know, I kind of understand what you were saying about how, you know, this life and death situation prompted you in a way that nothing did. I mean, my research on immortal becoming and on the species as a whole happened, well, like I said, I went because my mother, I I wrote Shadow Magic while I was with my mother having surgery. Well, the big reason why it's so scary is because the year before that, my mom had what should have been a simple surgery, she went through the surgery, yeah. the recovery was in a room encoded. They don't even know why. To this day, they don't know why. And it was after that that I really, because before that, I was just kind of fiddling with it. Right. And after after that happened with her, that I really knuckled down and got really serious about it. And it changes your perspective yeah, in it, life. It was terrifying. Yeah. It's an emotional, it was an emotional uh, thing that happened, and from that, you you change your perspective on life and how short it is, and uh, kind of prods you to do what you really should be doing. Right, right. Because yeah. I've always wrote, right, but I didn't but, get like knuckle down serious about it and then even when I started it it was just I just want to see if I can do a full novel it wasn't mm-hmm. until other people started reading it which I can't believe I let anybody read it um, <laughs> to begin with that I started actually even considering yeah. putting it out in the market to see what strangers thought you know Right. so it, yeah, it wasn't like I woke up one day and said I want to be a writer when I grow up it's just something I always did never took really seriously and even when I did I was I didn't do it with the intention of, you know, being rich and famous and no. glorified. It's because you wanted to get the story out of you. Oh, I had to. Yeah. Yes. It's a compulsion. You mean a compul- you mean compulsion in order to re- to write. And uh, so I, I I think it's terrific. Because I, I immediately knew that you and I got along as soon as we started talking. So, uh, well, you yeah, you write talking. fantasy too, so I mean, we automatically had it. <laughs> <laughs> we already had one foot in some other world that nobody knows about yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and they've been in there for a while. Those characters have been in there and they had for a while. It took twelve years to the story sat there until until the near death experience finally pushed me to, to to get it out again and and do something with it. So, uh, yeah. I think it's great. I think it's great that people are like, excuse me, where is your book? Where is your book? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like uh, it's not a convention. I saw you last year at, at, in, in you know, the fall. Where's the book at? 
<laughs> well, I, I could give you that. That is a copy from the editor. I just haven't finished doing the changes is all. But, uh, yeah, I, I work at everybody else's stuff and not on my own. That's a question. <laughs> I think that's a trap that, you know, a lot of writers, you know, a lot of times we fall into, you know, we get, yeah. But, I mean, there's a there's a few writers in my writers group that really are great about encouraging you to, you know, be true to your writing and to make sure that aren't afraid to say, nope, I am trying to do this. I can't critique for you. And, and it, by example, you know what I mean? It makes it, yeah. they yeah. teach you to, to put that first just by, just by example, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, that uh, I also learned that now, now that I have, uh, the fourth book is coming and that's the one that's, I'm getting done. And, uh, I got this this one already halfway done. So it's it hard to to write one and and you're in the editing process of the one behind it. Yeah, I did that with Shadow Magic and Immortal Becoming. I finally pushed Shadow Reve- or Shadow Rebuild, excuse me, Shadow Rebuild and Immortal Becoming. I finally had to push Shadow Rebuild away from me and like concentrate on Immortal Becoming, and I was completely driven to finish Immortal Becoming because. Where I pushed Shadow Revealed away, mm-hmm. they didn't like it. They were mad at me. <laughs> Your character. <laughs> oh, I was like this close to Thorazine, a rubber room, and chewing on nurses who tried to take my toys away. Yeah, it was that. <laughs> hey, you're sick, puppy. You know that. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> it was true though. So yeah, I pounded through it to Immortal Becoming just so I could get back to Shadow Rebuild. Yeah, that's probably wise. You know, take care of the the characters in front of you, and you got to get it done, and then then you can focus on the other ones. That's, uh, well, that's I don't know how these authors do three or four series at a time. Oh, I have no idea. They're amazing. I couldn't do it. There's yeah. no way. My characters would be fighting each other, like you said, you know. And that's one series. I can't imagine you know, having three or four you know, you know, sets of characters all trying to talk to you at the same time. Well, and, the, and the Bibles. Can you imagine trying to update the series Bibles that they're creating constantly? <laughs> yeah, it's just... Yeah, I don't know how to how to juggle that. I don't know how to juggle that yet. I have people who ask me that. I said, well, I have an author who will sit down and 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 be inspired by a certain story that he's writing, and he'll write on that for a while, and then he the next night he'll start you know he'll work on some another story. You know, um, <laughs> I don't recommend that for everybody. No, no, unless unless you know he has like the layout, you know, some kind of design that will work for the rest of us, an injection or a cocktail or something that will just bring that into the rest of us because that's a, yeah, I, I'm not capable. Not capable. Well, he basically writes full time, so that's, you know, there is no other things that are getting his way. So as, I that's, don't think I don't think you can do so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That still doesn't negate the 20 people in my head already. Well, right. <laughs> I'm already yeah. civil. I mean, really? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the problem, I, I think the difference is that his characters don't talk to him in his head as much as ours do. That, that, I think that's the key, is that uh, we're a little more open to... Or he's just really good at carp... carp I can't say the word. Carp blanc? Yeah. No, no, putting him into carp... carp compartments. Oh, compartments. Compartmentalizing your head, yeah. I, can't I could probably write it if I have spell checks, but I can't There <laughs> you go. I could spell check write it. Yeah, thank goodness for for spell checking. Oh yeah, I'm completely illiterate. We so. can we can we can pray so much faster since it tells us when we do it wrong. Well, and I have a tendency to close my eyes when I write, and so when I open my eyes, what I wrote sometimes, especially if it's a really frantic scene or conflict or something where they're zooming by, and I've got run-on sentences to you know and you know to. Mm instill motion or strong emotion into it and then I'll look up and it's like the whole thing looks like it had yellow or red paint thrown at it (laughs) (laughs) or your finger was on the wrong key so all of a sudden you know instead of A you were were doing S instead of A and so it's yeah (laughs) that is not English So she has to type, yeah. You have to go back and, and correct a lot more because of that. But that's, yeah, you, know, you got to get the story out. So that's what you did. That's what you do. Make it happen, Peppin. There you go. Well, I have to say that we're gonna. I'm going to uh, let you go because I think you're probably running, running low. And I know I don't have any more questions for you. I have a lot of fun. I love Thank that. you so much. <laughs> I enjoyed this so tremendously. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Hey, Have everyone. A great night. Let's say goodbye, Wendy. Bye. <laughs> that was Wendy Hales, and she is from Utah, by the way, just let you know. So she can look out and she sees the Rocky Mountains from her window. What a wonderful inspiration to be able to see the mountains uh, that close. And uh, she probably gets a lot of inspiration that way. And uh, it's a coffee shop, and she does. She enjoys boating and golfing and reading, of course, and spending time with her family, which, of course, her family is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure having them call in and, and share with us definitely makes for a more interesting uh, interview and different uh, radio show when we can get personalized information and stories about our authors. Makes it a little bit more special. So I appreciate you guys calling in. So with that, I'm going to say uh, good night. I'm going to do see what else we got coming up here. I don't have another show for a little while, a couple weeks. But we will be getting ramped up for our Arizona Authors Summer Book Fest. We'll be driving some authors to different parts of the state of Arizona. We have a lot of small towns who are just chomping chomping at the bit to get us to bring some authors over. So we will definitely be visiting them, and we'll be ramping up for that. Looks like we'll be starting King and Cayman Book Fest on the 19th of May. And I'm just putting some people, uh, authors in place for that. Should be very cool. 
It'd be a little cooler than it is here in uh, in the valley, which I will appreciate for one weekend. Uh, it'd be very nice to be getting out of town for a little bit. So we might see you guys in Cayman on the 19th of May. And they've got a nice uh, festival there uh, from 10 to 4 p.m. on that Saturday. So with that, uh, obviously, just definitely take a look at my blog. I'm going to add that to here so that way you guys see it. I also have a lot of books that I not only review but give information to. You've got a lot of uh, authors in there that are that we uh, have blog posts like Wendy. That's where I met her. We did a virtual book tour with her um, a, well, a couple weeks ago. And again, I liked her cover and her idea to paranormal fantasy, which of course is right up my alley. Uh, I'm also managing editor of a speculative fiction newspaper, and obviously her book definitely uh, lend well to my readership. So definitely needed to wanted to interview her and get her book, so that way uh, we could get the word out about this new author. So that's what we did, and I'm um, really happy to have met Andy. So with that, I'm going to see you guys. I've got the blog up there, so go ahead and click on it. Uh doesn't look like it gave the direct link, but just copy and paste it. And we got, obviously, it's, I think if I have a virtual book tours, I've got like three of them a week. So you guys can definitely bookmark it and see new things, uh, new stories about different authors. Um, about three times a week and then also information about where we're going to be in Arizona on our book tour so with that I'm going to say goodnight it's it's Wednesday and it's getting close to 7 o'clock Arizona time and I know it's a lot later it's like 10 o'clock, almost 10 o'clock in Vacay's so really nice to hear from you guys and I know you're still ta- listening to me so you guys have a great night this is KWAD Radio and Patty Holstrand signing out
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.